In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, how to crack passwords. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring how to crack passwords. Joining me today to help me answer this question is Sean Peterson of Parameter Security. So Sean is uh, a, another member of Parameter Security. I was at Show Me Con in early June, June 7th and 8th, and I decided to record some podcasts while I was there, which is something fairly new for me. But um, Sean gave his first ever talk uh, at any security conference. And it was a really good one on, you know, how to get started with pretty much cracking passwords, the rig that you need, the setup you need, and and kind of some pretty funny stories. Uh, it's up on YouTube. They're available, uh, which is available in the show notes, timothydblock.com forward slash EIS. This will be forward slash 145. So uh, really great talk. Sean is, is one of the nicest people you will ever meet. If you get a chance to meet him, uh, give him a big old hug. Um He's a uh, he's a big teddy bear. So uh, as I mentioned, Show Me Con, uh, really great conference. Uh, it's usually in June. Would highly recommend going to it. It's it's uh, it's a really great conference and and one that I look forward to every year. Um, so again, I'm playing with the audio in this, uh, getting used to some of my new nut mics and stuff. Played with some settings. I think this one turned out pretty good. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to doing some more of that stuff. Feedback, timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. And with that, let's get it on. All right, password cracking. Password cracking. All you right. just had your talk at yeah. Show Me Con 2018 oh. where you talked about cracking passwords. Yeah. My favorite part was when you said uh, you were so excited to get... Did you guys, were you guys there for it? He was so excited like to get these... The, the, these like. Uh, 1080 cards, yeah, GPU card, and then it was on fire. Yeah, so Dave came to me and he was like, hey, Sean, would this be helpful? And he like threw down a, a GTX 1080 graphics card, and I was using two G GTX 1070 graphics cards at the time. And that one GTX 1080 is like the equivalent of two 1070s. So it would have replaced my whole rig, basically. Or it would have been almost the same amount of power as, uh, as of cracking ability. And so he threw it down my desk. I was like, I was like a kid on Christmas, and uh, I was freaking. I was like, "Hell yes, it will." That's exactly what I would like to have, Dave. Thank you very much. So, um, I, I I hooked that thing up, and I was I was staring at it, and we we plugged it in, we powered it on, the fans started going a little bit, and then uh, it didn't seem like it was getting power. It wasn't being recognized by uh, the machine. It's like, man, this is really weird. Cracking rigs are notoriously finicky for like recognizing the graphics card. So I didn't think too much of it. And then I was like, I think it's some, something to do with the way I have it powered. So I grabbed a different power cord, plugged it in. It lit up like, like it was like it was going to work. Everything was great. And then flame shot out of it. And I cried, <laughs> like, like, a literal flame like a literal shot effing flame flew out of the top of this graphics card. And uh, I immediately... still working though. It wasn't I, I unplugged it from the wall. I don't know. I was in a hurry. I was in a hurry. <laughs> it was in it's in a response mode at that point. <laughs> 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 yeah, so... Uh, I, I just unplugged the rig and 
then they I got the nickname Sparky for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> we shipped it back to Amazon because that's what you do uh, <laughs> when shit goes south. So, <laughs> but I, then I did some research and I found out that those FTW cards were like, I think they were. Series, I can't, I never remember, but they were um, they were notorious for catching fire for some weird reason, and um, um, I, I was kind of shocked that that was a thing. So yeah, that's all I have to say about that. So was it blazing speed? It was. Uh, yeah, it, was it was blazing speed. <laughs> it would have been blazing speed, and it was just the wrong kind of blazing speed. Right, and then you then you got a different setup. Yeah. So then shortly after that, Dave came to me and was like, "Hey, will this help you?" And he threw down six GTX 1080s and a rig that he was using previously for crypto mining. Um, and then the uh, the crypto gold rush was over. So, uh, or it seemed to be at least. Uh, it may it may not be. What but percentage of the ones that he gave you caught on fire? None, none of those have so far. <laughs> There's actually better airflow in there. <laughs> have caught fire yet. They ran in his house for a while, so and his house didn't burn down. So, um, which is good. That's well, that's what you said too on the one that caught fire. Like it's got a got a water cooling system. Yeah, the other one. Yeah, the the two I had previously did, but the 1080 did not have water cooling. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So what is what is the what is the Kraken? Because we're calling this the, the Kraken. Kraken's right? air cooled. It's not water cooled. Um, those were a mistake. I think Dave bought them and then realized they, he didn't realize they were water cooled when he got them. And then he was like, "Crap, I can't, I can't get rid of them." So he just gave them to me. Oh, okay. And then I, <laughs> so I started using them. I started using them for password cracking. And then we were going to add more cards to it. But the way it was set up, that rig, the the frame and the the chassis for it, um, it wasn't really made for water cooling. So if we were going to add more GPUs to it, we'd have to move the water cooling to a different. Th- it was a big deal. So I was really glad when he brought this. The, the big rig over because uh, the Kraken uh, is what we called it later. Um, but when he brought this bigger rig over, it was great because I didn't have to worry about what I was going to do with those water cooling, uh, water cooled uh, GTX uh, 1070s because then I wasn't going to use them at all. I was just going to, those are getting sidelined until um, I needed them for something else. So, but the, the 1080 rigs worked out really great. Uh, it's really fast. Um, it's doing seven and a half billion hashes per second on our responses for NTLMv2 net NTLMv2 responses. It does seven and a half billion um, attempts per second, and then on net NTLM or not net, on NT hashes, it does forty six billion um, attempts per second. So it's pretty, it's cooking. Okay, so I, I guess what's the what is and because that's what I like what you talk because I actually mm-hmm. explain like you broke down what these hashes are. Yeah. So net NTLM hashes are, are responses rather than not hashes. They're not hashes is what I was going to say. Um, they're a response that's done over uh, the NTLM protocol, and they're used to authenticate a, like a user to a service or uh, so. Like if you if you log into a shared folder, um, there's a good chance that it's going to use. Uh, that authentication method and it uses an NT hash and an LM hash and then there's some HMACing that's done, MD5 HMAC algorithm that's run through. It's basically a non-reversible thing. But once you if you know what the server challenge is, you can you can create a new one. And so then you can create net NTLM responses and then compare them and try to figure out what that password was that made them. Oh, okay. So is this so is this a lot to do with just AD is what you're getting at? So, well, in this case, it's used for just authentication for like 
shared folders and SMB, like so SMB shares right. and stuff like that. Right. Um, it's used for other things too, but that's where most of the time where I get them from is from people trying to authenticate to an SMB share and then I might be poisoning that uh, um, like NetBIOS or LLMNR protocol and uh, capture those. Or like I, I mentioned in my talk, using a link file um, attack where if you get access to one machine, you can drop a, a malicious link file into a shared folder and when people view it, it'll call home to my um, SMB listener and send authentication um, requests. So this is more from like a pen test, not necessarily a, you have like this this dump of like bcrypt passwords. Right, so most of the time I have to collect, I got to go and actively collect those through using something like Responder um, or through an SMB, like a rogue SMB share or some kind of uh, method of getting those hashes. Now, if I get them from like, the, the hashes that are from, those are responses. The hashes that I get are mostly NT hashes, or a lot of people call them NTLM hashes, which is kind of a misnomer because NTLM is a protocol, not a hash. So, okay. so most people call it NTLM, even though that's not the case, they're just called, they're NT hashes. So, so and you're, collect, you're, you're just capturing these as these are going across the network? So the NT hashes you get, a lot of times you can get it from memory on machines. Um, Windows uh, 8 and below natively store clear text passwords in memory along with those NT hashes. Um, and then in Windows 8.1 and above, those uh, in memory, they only store the hashes. Um, unless you're using something like Office 365 or something like that, and you're saving your password with Windows Credential Manager. In that case, then it's still storing your clear text password in memory. But the, what I'm just getting at is that the NTL, the NT hashes are stored in memory, and you can get them if you have access to a machine. You can dump the memory of the machine and get NT hashes from there. Okay. That's one way. The other way that I run into the NT hashes most is through dumping the domain controller. So okay. if I get access to a domain controller, if I get domain admin creds, and yeah. I get a domain Which controller. Which happens a lot from what I hear. Yeah, what's had, luckily it has happened a lot for me, so that's good. Um, so you just get all the hashes then? Yeah, so like if you get a, you go to like a big enterprise, you might get 30,000, 40,000 hashes from a domain controller. It's all their AD users, and then I get historical hashes out of that as well. So that might save the last eight passwords that they had, mm -hmm. the last password hashes. Right. So that's where I use a lot of those. Um, I use the cracking rig for for that a lot um, because there's a whole bunch of hashes there. And if I can, I could pass those hashes to like authenticate to another machine. Well, you can't do that with that NTLM responses, uh -huh. but you can do that with NT hashes. Um, you can just like say you're using PSExec, which is a, a tool that you can use to um, remote into a machine. Right. It's used as a remote administration tool. And you can use the username and the pass and the password hash, the NT hash, and it'll authenticate you um, into the machine, and you can have remote access. You can do that with just a hash, so you don't have to have the actual right. password. Right. But say there's another service that you want access to that that person might have access to, and you see you don't know what the password is, but if you know what their previous password is or what their domain ha um, hash is, you know if you can crack that hash and get the password. There's a possibility that they're using similar passwords, or they're no. using right, right. So to to really, like I said, having an NT hash is a win, but having their actual password is a bigger win. So, um, you know, that's kind of the whole point of me getting into this was because of that. Right. It's like I wanted to know what those passwords were. Right. And um, 
So okay, so we've, kind of we've, we've talked us. about yeah, we've talked about the rig that you want, something beefy, um, a lot of GPUs. I know you talked about also CPUs, not doing things very well. So it's it's GPUs, and that's, that's pretty much to me when I hear GPU, it's a graphics card, right? Yeah, yeah graphics cards. Yep. I get some graphics cards. Um, what are you putting on this box for the actual cracking of passwords? Like as far as tools go? Yeah. Okay. So as far as cracking password hashes go, um, I usually use uh, Hashcat um, for for password hash cracking. And um, I used to use uh, John the Ripper um, for password cracking, but I really like Hashcat more. I'm more familiar with it. I use it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I used a GUI version of John the Ripper for a bit called Johnny, which was good because it would help me kind of organize things and I could just grab just the hashes and process them and I can show visual um, things and you can see things a little bit better um, as opposed to going through a whole list of things in a text document or you know Mm -hmm. but those are the two that I use the most for for cracking okay so like how would I guess can you walk through the process of what so you've got the passwords how do you load them how do you start cracking with them maybe not necessarily get into specifics but like what's the process so, of putting, you know, you got your password, you got your cracking machine. How do I then merge them to start cracking passwords? All right. So a lot of times I'll end up running the, you know, you may use tools like Responder. You may find a, you just get lucky. Sometimes I've had, I've had an occasion where, well, I guess I had access initially, but really it comes down to like getting, getting access to some getting access to either a machine or getting access to hashes through poisoning of uh, like LLMNR or NetBIOS name service, um, which would be like responder usage. Right. Um, that's the best way. I think uh, so far for me, it's been pretty pretty successful. People haven't fixed that stuff and it takes a long time to fix it. And it's it's kind of, it's kind of like the, it's a low hanging fruit, but it is, it isn't something that people can just easily fix. They can't just, Shut off LLMNR and NetBIOS without screwing up things. Okay, you know, on, on, on big, in big enterprises, it's not something they can just get rid of. So, um, but anyway, once you get any kind of either a response or an NT hash, however you get those hashes, what you would do then is uh, is take those hashes, put them into Hashcat either. You know, you take the unique ones and put them in a. Is it, well, and is this just like a spreadsheet that you load, or like is it a specific? No, they're file? just text files. Just text files. Yeah, just okay. text files. Okay. Yeah. So you take those text files and you load them into Hashcat, and then you tell them what modes. So they, they, you have different modes for Hashcat for different kinds of hashes. And is this is this all command line, or is so this it's all command line? All yeah. command line. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So you, you basically it's just a you know in the command line, and I use I think I have a win. So my my hack my cracking rig is a Windows base, uh, but I've used Hashcat and Linux based as well, but the, the cracking rigs on a Windows base. So it's uh, in command line, you go and you, you go to the Hashcat directory and then you tell it to run Hashcat with this mode and this, you know, all these options that you have. I have a set number of options and I have rules. So I tell it which rules I want to run, um, where the file is that I want it to read from to get the hashes loaded, and then where I want the output of those file, uh, any, any cracked hashes to go. Um, and then it just runs and it, it starts feeding the dictionaries into the graphics cards and it starts, you know, trying to process each uh, line of the dictionary and turn them into net NTL MV2 responses or hashes, um, uh, like NT hashes, and then it compares them. And then when it finds a match, it right, you know, basically puts out that this hash equals this password. Um, and then when it's done running, 
uh, several hours later or however, you know, depending on how many hashes you have um, or how many dictionary entries and uh, rules you have, it could take a while. Um, usually I just let it run overnight when I have a lot of stuff. I just, it'll be. Yeah, so it could hours. take hours to it run. It could take a few hours, you know. Yeah. Um, but I check in on it and it, it constantly is updating. So it'll, it'll have the output will be there. So if I'm doing an engagement and I have a whole bunch of stuff, I can just check the output for all the easy passwords that came up first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Once I get like one password, if I can get access to somebody's machine, I can use a different method of getting more hashes. I don't, I can not use Responder because it's kind of noisy. If they haven't already caught me using Responder, then. I'll shut it down and I'll use a different method, which a lot of times will be that link file um, attack. Where, um, did, I, did I already talk about that link file attack? Okay, mm-hmm. so the link file attack is where you take a, it, it was an attack that, or kind of a little trick that Trustwave, I think reported on, and there's an article I found it um, in from like 2011. And I think it was Trustwave's article. Um, but really what you do is that you take any file, you can take a text file on your desktop, right-click it, make a shortcut file um, on your desktop, change the icon to say the recycle bin. Then go into a hex editor and then edit where it says system32 slash whole core or whatever. That it's telling you to go there for um, the, it's telling the file that that's where the icon is mm-hmm. on your local machine. We just take that, that path and you change it to an SMB address of the attacking machine, your adversary machine on the network of the client site. Um, and then you put a listener, you set up like a, you can use like a Metasploit SMB listener module and then just set up a listener. And then you can take that file and get it onto, if you have access to a machine, you can go upload that file to the machine, drop it in the shared folder. And then anytime a user goes into that same shared folder, the icon tries to load and it tries to load the icon from that SMB share that you set it up to. So it sends SMB uh, authentication. Uh, usually it's like net NTLMV2, ha- um, not hash, but response to um, the attacker machine, which mm-hmm. then gets logged. So that's how you can get more net NTLMV2 okay. uh, responses that way. Um, and then you just keep doing that. People go to the, the shared folders. Um, keep doing it until you get like a domain admin then? Yeah, so people will just keep, I mean, if you get really lucky, you'll go into a folder where a lot of people have access and go in and check. And when they go in there, it'll just, I mean, nothing even happens on there and it just sends their authentication to me. Okay. So they don't even have to take any action. They just have to go to that folder. And when that when that file shows up on the screen, it tries to load the icon, which sends their, 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 you know, their authentication to me. Cool. So that's a really sneaky sneaky kind of way I don't know if there's a lot of way to stop that other than like NetFlow analysis or something like that watching right. to see like oh it's this new SMB share that everybody's going to and we can't you know that's I don't know if there's a whole lot of ways to stop that so I kind of feel dirty using that um, yeah I was, I was actually thinking because uh, like a canary or something could tell you if right. but that's that's if someone's like scanning um Right. For, you know, because people put like these honey, this, when I say canary, it's like a honey token, honey pot within the network that is only touched, that is never touched. But if no one's going there, then you're not going to right. bother. Right. So that is hard to detect. Yeah. So sometimes clients want me to do engagements where they don't want me to like, they want me to see how long I can go undetected. So I don't like start out doing vulnerability scans or anything like that. I go, right. I go and I start manually screwing with stuff. Right. And I try to try to see how far I can get before they actually catch me, if they have a team that's actually catching me. And sometimes there's, you know, big fortune companies that have whole teams. And, you know, I don't hear anything for right. a while. And it's not until I start actually doing any of the um, automated testing that I start hearing anything from them. 
and by that time I could already have been done you know I might have been done with the manual exploration as far as like um, getting I could have gotten domain admin and all that stuff by then and then I'm just going back through and so you see but you are getting caught at some point yeah most of the time I'd say if they have like a whole team uh, people then a lot of times they'll have alerts or something like that from the, from the vulnerability testing but um, and if I'm really Sometimes they catch like a responder, but sometimes they don't. So it's weird, you know. I've had times where big companies don't see don't say anything, and I've had times where I could just sneeze and they would catch me, you know. Like, really. So it just it's it's all about what they've got and their right. how, how they're monitoring and so. Would yeah. you say you you you, you get to operate uh, undetected more than? getting actual caught yeah I would yeah I would say so it's really like I said it's going to be the people who have or the companies that have huge resources for that right um, and not, not that they're monitoring the right stuff it's just that it's, they have a lot of resources well it's both I'd say it's both um, you know you get you know they, they have the right they have the right things in the right spot right so and um, the people who don't you know the, the a lot of times don't don't get detected right Okay, so let's get back to Patrick Craig because yep. we've kind of we've kind of yeah, we <laughs> gone straight off away a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. is fine. Um, with the Patrick Craig with the Hashcat, is that open source? Is that yes. cost? Yeah, so it's free. All the stuff free. I'm using is and it's is kept open up to source. date too. Yes, yes, it is. So, uh, yeah, Hashcat's great. Um, I don't know. I don't use John the Ripper very much, but uh, I use Hashcat. Quite I think a lot a of people use Hashcat. Yeah, pretty I'd much say it. a lot of people. Yeah, all my mentors use Hashcat. Yeah. So. so it sounds like the biggest hurdle for people might be like getting the actual rigs that will yeah. be because because like you said, you have one that that sends millions and billions of attempts in like a second. What did yeah. you say it was forty six forty six billion for uh, NT hashes? Right for NT hashes, um, and that the, 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 that's that's a pretty big system. Yeah, I mean it's not crazy. It's not like a, it's the most I've ever seen or anything like that. But it's it's a whole hell of a lot better than like the Lenovo Yoga I was using with CPU crack. Right. Yeah. Where I was not yep. getting nearly you know it's so it's sped up my the amount of time that it's taken me and it's also allowed me to use bigger dictionaries and rules and stuff like that right to, right to have a better success rate right and so where you because you talked a lot about mostly about dictionary text right yeah where are you getting those so dictionary text uh, a lot of the dictionaries i found a lot of dictionaries uh online and then i also made my own dictionary so um there's some great places you can get obviously everybody's got rocky and things like that but right there's a great site called week pass um and WeekPass has just tons of really good dictionaries that tells you like the rate of success and uh, things like that on different um, different hash collections and things like that, that they've tried it on. And it's pretty good. I've gotten a bunch of good dictionaries from there and had really good success with it. Um, I've got thirty billion, about thirty billion entries in my password dictionaries. It's a lot. About two hundred gigs of text file uh, dictionary files, and um, I've got a bunch of dictionaries. I make dictionaries for different engagements too. So sometimes you have a you know a client in a different country who's got um, you know different a whole different language, and you want to crawl their site and get terms and stuff that uh, so you can use like cool for that, like C E W L. Cool, that's cool. Yeah. C E W L. Yeah, it's Robin. I think Robin Wood. Yeah, and what that does, Digi Ninja. Is, right, and what that does is just pretty much scrape the website yep. for words that people might be using. Yep, and creates a big list of, of words, and you can tell it's real customizable. You can tell it don't use any words under seven characters. Don't grab any of that. Um, go this many pages deep into their website. Look for this right. and that. So you can get people's, you know, get words that get their vocabulary that they would use for uh, potentially using their passwords and things like that, which is good. And then um, one of the things I didn't talk about in my talk because I, I just I don't know how I 
I've had some fishing engagements where I've had multiple times where 20, 30% of the passwords that I harvested from the fishing engagement all had a trend. They were all using the same prefix. And I was like, what's going on with this? So I went to, the, to my contact at those companies and I was like, what do you, is this a thing? Like, is this something that I should know about this? And is there something that, you know, is here that I'm seeing? And they said, I could just hear on the video, on the phone conference, you could just hear the, like their palms hitting their face where they're like, holy cow, we gave an example a couple years ago in a security awareness meeting. And we gave this example, it looks just like this. And all they did was change the numbers at the end and reuse that. And they thought that was a good password because we gave it as an example. <laughs> and, and so all these people, like 20, you know, 20, 30% of their users were using this example, you know, and it might be like the initials of the company or, or whatever, you know, just some, some prefix that they decided to use. So you have to be like really careful in your security awareness training that when you choose, I would probably give multiple examples, things like that. But I mean, know that when you give an example, people are going to use that. Really? Yeah, it yeah. seems like a good 20 or 30 percent, or at least at least of the ones that's I got. Interesting. So yeah. that was really funny. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's interesting. So what uh, what resources are available for learning more about password cracking? So there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, I posted an article on Cyberair.it a while back um, called "Information Research and Content Categorization." It was a really long-winded title because it was an inside joke with some admins on the site. But if you go to uh, cyber and search for it you'll find it there and it's got a ton of resources I have a lot of pen testing resources there it's about 1500 resources to different places there's a lot of password cracking stuff there um, there's a lot of pen testing stuff there's social engineering stuff people finding stuff there's a lot of really good things there um, that's a good place to check for some things not to plug my own stuff but um, Digi Ninja has a lot of really good stuff there on password analysis that the, they've worked with like Martin Boz and um, there's I like watching Iron Geek videos um, to, to plug Adrian, um, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of really good talks out there on password cracking. Um, there's a lot of really good research being done, and I think AI is definitely going to be the way that it's going to be going. Interesting. It's, there's, I think that's kind of what's going to happen. I think it's going to be we're going to come up with all these things. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a there's going to be a big effort, at least in some kind of nation state. You know, I bet. I mean, not to be like conspiracy theorist kind of thing, but right. I could see it where there's going to be some big f- project where they're going to pull all these phrases and advertisements and things that people see and hear and experience throughout their day daily because it's a, it's a pop culture thing or whatever. And those things can become password dictionaries because people are going to start using those passphrases. So I think that's going to be a, a thing. And I think AI may be helpful in uh, in the password cracking um, the evolution of password cracking that's interesting we'll have to dive into that in another podcast what's that we'll have to dive into that in another yeah, podcast yeah I think it would be neat I would like to see if anybody's doing any research on that now yeah I don't probably know. obviously you know want to talk to more people doing this kind of thing so yeah well uh, reach out what's your Twitter handle yeah so you can find me on Twitter at Sean the Peterson that's S-E-A-N-T-H-E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N. Cool. And uh, yeah, just shoot me an invite or follow me. Is there any anything else that we haven't already discussed? Oh man, there's like to mention. Password passwords are uh, are a crazy thing. I mean, going into passphrases and people using password, you know, uh, like LastPass and one password and stuff like that. That's so. Are you a fan of password managers? 
you know, here's what I will say. Like, I think they're they have a good purpose. I think they're doing they're doing good things. I think that the as an average, like, if I were to think of it, think in the in the perspective of an adversary, that would be one of the first things I'd want to go after. Really? Yeah. So if I were like a nation state or somebody who really wanted all those password diction, all those passwords, right. I would be hitting those. That would be I would be pounding those companies for that data. Right. So I could see where that's going to be. I have a feeling that's going to be. So what are people supposed to do then? I don't, you know, come up with good stuff. Come up with good passphrases. Don't use the same stuff. You know, right. Well, don't use anything because you, you were talking about scraping from uh, uh, what was it? Um, Jeopardy answers. No, Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of yeah, Fortune. That was what it was. Yeah. So yeah, I found a website. I I, well, I cracked a password initially that sounded like a Wheel of Fortune answer. I um, thought, man, that sounds like a Wheel of Fortune answer. I wonder if there's a site out there that has Wheel of Fortune answers because if there is, that would be a great password dictionary. So I found this great site. Um, and frankly, if you're listening, thank you for the information. I reached out to the owner of the site. Um, I think it's uh, wheelfortuneanswers.com. Or, mm-hmm. or yeah. It was in my slide deck. Um, but anyway, I reached out. He gave me his information. I told him I was doing security research and um, that I needed his data. And I'd love to have it. He sent it on over. And um, I got like 55,000 uh, Wheel of Fortune answers out of that. And um, it makes for a great password dictionary. Um, so... I mean, just things like that. Um, I mean, it's great to make a passphrase. Passphrases are what everybody kind of thinks is, you know, in my research, it seems to be the, the better option for a password. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, you know, or instead of a password, really using a passphrase. But using something that isn't common, using something that means something to you but doesn't mean anything to anybody else, using words that are slang, using things that aren't in dictionaries, Swapping out words, like taking a song lyric that is not popular anyway, and then swapping out words with other words right. to make it mean something, you know, may have some other, you know, that's not going to be in a, in a password dictionary. Um, that's going to be very helpful as well. So right. that was, that's my recommendation. Obviously, keep the length as high as you can, remember, and as high as your whatever resources you're trying to log into will let you. Right. Cool. Yeah. Hi, right, man. Well, thanks for joining yeah, me. Thank you for having me.